Greetings and welcome back to The Dive, the weekly podcast series in which we take an in-depth look at a topic that has come up over the course of the past week's Dafyomi study. And this is our last dive shiur for Masachat Shabbat. Indeed, uh, many of us today are making a siyum on Masachat Shabbat. Uh, and this sugya appears right near the end of the Masachat on Daf Kufnun Vav. It is the sugya of Mazal, or Mazal de Yisrael. Yesh Mazal de Yisrael, or Ein Mazal de Yisrael. And in order to clarify what it means, just the translation of one word, and that is the word mazal. The word mazal, which shows up one time in all of Tanakh, and it shows up in the context of foreign worship that occurred that Yoshiahu, the last great righteous king we had in the first Beit HaMikdash period, uh, destroyed the sites of worship of the Ureach, the Kochavim, and Mazalot. That's in Malachim Bet Perak Gimel. Mazal seems to refer to constellations and worship of the constellations, uh, which seemed to mean uh, that there was a sense that the constellations and the array of stars together had a power over man's life and man's destiny. Uh, And as a result of that, people, primitive people, would worship them, hoping to curry favor and get them to act in their favor. Now, the worship of mazalot is really not the topic here of the sugya, but the word mazal is important. So now let's take a look at the primary Tanakh texts, although there are dozens more that we could look at, um, and, uh, and then we'll go from there to our sugya. <clears throat> so first of all, important to note that uh, Torah itself has very few real theological statements. There's lots of theological premises which underlie the, uh, both the narrative and the legal section, and certainly the prophetic section of Torah, but there are a few out-and-out theological statements. Perhaps the broadest one uh, is that in the, uh, in the beginning of Parshat Vetchanan, in the introduction to Moshe's retelling the story of Matan Torah, and uh, his pointing out that what this generation's parents had experienced at Har Sinai, or this generation as little children had experienced, was the smoke, uh, the revelation, etc., but no image, and the uh, the denigration of any sort of imagery, uh, idols, uh, formed uh, forms, whatever it may be, to use for worship, uh, was negated. That was mentioned also in Parshat Yitro, uh, right after Matan Torah. And here you have a very broad statement, which starts for our purposes with Raki Shamer Shachamiyod, source one. Be very careful to never forget what you saw and never let leave your heart. Make sure to tell your children and your children's children and the day that you stood at Chorev. And the main thing that happened there is what you did hear and what you didn't see. And so if you take a look at Pasuk Tedvav, which repeats, guard your soul, guard your life very carefully. And so this is a, now a new angle on the same command. You did not see any image. On the day that Hashem spoke to you at Chorev at Har Sinai from the fire. So be careful that you do not make any sort of an image of a male or female. Of an animal. Of birds. Or anything that crawls on the ground, so the image of a fish, so going from up to down. And then, and this is the part that's critical for our topic, that you should not lift your eyes heavenwards. You see the sun, the moon, the stars. All the host of heavens, which includes all of the galaxies, and you should go that you should be pushed away or depart from God and bow to them and worship them. Now, this is a clear prohibition against worshiping celestial beings along with the images. Now, that God gave them as a portion to all of the nations under the heavens. Now, what that means, subject to a lot of discussion. Does it mean that those things are really to be worshipped by the other nations, but not by you? Or that those things have some sort of relation to the other nations, but not to you? Or that it mean that they were, it was given as something to enlighten the world, but not for worship? Okay. 
Vatchem, and here the Vav of Vatchem is what we call a Vav Hanigud, uh, which is a, uh, a Vav of rather as opposed to and. It's a disjunct, uh, disjunctive Vav. Vatchem lakach Adonai. But you, God took. And he took you out of the crucible, the iron crucible of Egypt to be his nation. So in other words, the simple read now of the section that's in red, is that's what God gave to them, but not to you. You, you have a special relationship with God. And we're going to see this revisited, especially in the prominent words of the Ramban. Uh, later on in Dvarim, um, the Torah explicates the warning of uh, which we heard a little bit in Parshat Mishpatim, what's going to happen when you come to the land and you encounter the pagan peoples of the land? You're coming to the land that God is giving you. Do not learn how to do uh, what the abominations of the other nations. By the way, important to note that Chazal say, You don't learn it in order to how to, you don't study it in order to know how to do it, but you do study it in order to know how to identify it. Uh, critical, especially if you remember the Sanhedrin. Now here's a list of examples uh, of abominant, uh, abominable behaviors of the pagan nations. Passing your children through the fire, Molech worship evidently, wizardry, is the one we're going to come back to. These are three different kinds of wizardry. The which may have to do with something with gathering animals together. that's necromancy. another form of necromancy. Why? These are all abominations to God, and the people who do these are abominable to God. And it's because of these abominations that God is disinheriting them from you, meaning that your opportunity to come in to take the land from them is because they behave this way, which of course carries a very subtle but very clear warning, which is if you descend into their kind of behavior, somebody else will come and disinherit you, you will have no right to live there. Be wholehearted with God. We're going to see uh, that particular line come up both in the in the development of the Rambam and the Ramban in very different ways. And then, these nations that God is allowing you to inherit them, that you're going to disinherit them, they go and listen to Me'onanim, we're not going to translate that yet, and Kosmim are wizards. That's not what God gave you. And again, the same distinction as we saw above in Perak Dalad. That's for them, but this is for you. And what's for you? Moshe is speaking and he says, God will raise up another prophet like me. And that's who you should listen to. So in other words, they have a vehicle for getting their information from, shall we say, the other side of things, and that's through all of these different devices. We're not now dealing with whether or not there's any truth to that. However, God gave you a different vehicle, and that vehicle is prophecy. Okay, uh, we move ahead um, to uh, to the third source, which is going to be one that's going to be that's going to show up in the in the words of the Rishonim here. Uh, and uh, and also in our Gemara, in Yirmiyahu, in Perak Yod, It's important to note that, as I mentioned in the opening comment, the word Mazal shows up one time, actually Mazalot, shows up one time in Tanakh, and it is one of the things that was worshipped up until the time of Yoshiahu and Yoshiahu with his great reformation and wiping out all the places of Vodazarah and about the, all the Bamot, uh, that is mentioned as something that did exist that he wiped out. Critical to note that this is now a passage in Yirmiyahu. Yirmiyahu, of course, is the Navi at that time. And subsequently, after Yoshiahu dies tragically on the battlefield and his, uh, and his son takes over, and that is a disaster, uh, and after three months he's taken captive to Egypt, and then Yoyakim is king for 11 very bad years, and then Yoyakim is king for three months, and that's the end of Yerushalayim, and then Tzidkiyahu. Uh, so Yirmiyahu says, so this, is, this is contemporaneous with Yirmiyahu, this kind of worship. Hear this word, 
El derech ha-goyim al-tilmadu. Do not study the paths of the nations. Ume'otot ha-shamayim al-techatu. Do not be afraid of the signs in the heavens. Ki yechatu ha-goyim mehema. The nations are afraid of these sort of things. Now, what are the signs of heavens? It seems to be the alignment of the stars which give these nations reasons to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid of those. Now, there's two very different ways to understand that. One is to say that those alignments are meaningful, but you don't need to be afraid. The other is they're not meaningful at all. There's nothing to be afraid of. Okay? And uh, we see he follows up. This seems to argue for the second, which is these laws that they have are nonsense, are vanity and emptiness. And then there's a, 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 a critique of, of, of fetish worship or of idol worship, which is, you know, you've taken a, a wood and you cut it from a tree and then you're worshiping it uh, or something that you've hammered out. But that's not the same thing as the stars. So question is, is Yirmiyahu here aligning, sorry for the pun, star worship with idol worship, all of which are just nonsensical, um, we'll leave that in the meantime. And the last pasuk I want to take a look at is one that comes dafka from the words of a non-Jewish sorcerer, and that is Bil'am. When Bil'am comes to curse the Jewish people, and instead he blesses them, and that entire sugya, to some extent, is related to this entire discussion. Uh, one of the things he says, and one of the more powerful things he says, is, nachash Now, nachash, as opposed to nachash, which is a snake, nachash is a verb, which means to do wizardry. There is no wizardry among Yaakov. Velo kesem Israel, no sorcery among Israel. And then, ka'et yamel Yaakov Yisrael, ma'pa'al el. At a time like this, it will be told to them what, what God has done. Which means there's some other way that they communicate. Now let's take a look at the Ramban here, which is going to open up one of the doors that we need to see in interpreting this entire phenomenon of astrology and the stars and their significance. The Ramban in his commentary, there's several key Rambans. We're going to take a look at two others. There's one just out of time and space consideration uh, that's actually in, in Dvarim Yudchet in that section of Tamim Tiyah, but we'll see it in a different context. Uh, the Ramban says, He quotes Rashi. And he says, They don't need wizardry. Because they have prophets who tell them, What God has decided, or they have through the Urim Vetumim, through the breastplate. That's Rashi. But the Ramban says, as far as I'm concerned, what's the correct interpretation is, Remember, these are the words of Bilam, who himself is a wizard, and Balak sent a message which is, So the Ramban introduces, interjects words here. I know that that which you bless through your wizardry, will be blessed. You are, and whatever is cursed through them will be cursed. And Balak sent these um, vehicles for sorcery. So what did Bilam now say back to Balak? Um, this doesn't affect them in one way or not for the better or not for the worse. It doesn't hurt them, it doesn't help them. At all times, they are told what God is doing. Because they get their information, but more importantly, they get the decree about what's going to happen to them directly from God. And this is going to theory of the Ramban we're going to see throughout. Because as we hear in the beginning of Shirat Azinu, near the beginning of Shirat Azinu, they are part of God. The Jewish people are part of God. They are not under the governance of the, the stars of heaven or of the, the heavenly ministers. Right? And therefore, no, they cannot be harmed by some by human using sorcery, which would then manipulate those heavenly ministers or those heavenly officers uh, in order to harm them. They can, they're unaffected by that. Going back to our first source in Dvarim, 
Then Moshe said, these are the stars that God gave out to the nations. In other words, he's reading it in the, uh, in the second way that we read it, which is God gave all of those stars to rule over and control the nations of the world, but not you. You are his treasured people, and he controls you directly. And we're going to see that a little bit later on, a critical uh, Ramban. We won't see the whole thing, but we'll see key passages. All right, a couple other psukim for us to take a look at, just because they'll be brought up in the uh, in the uh, Gemara, is uh, first of all, source six. Uh, Avraham is told by God, "You're going to have a great reward." Avraham's response is, "What's the point of giving me a reward? I have no children." This is before Ishmael is born. Um, and I have no children, and uh, and my uh, houseman is going to inherit from me, Damasek Eliezer. And then in Pasuk Dalad, This one will not inherit from you, rather one that will emerge from your own womb, your own loins, as it were, will inherit from you. And then, Look at that phrase. God takes him outside. And he says, Take a look to, towards the heaven. Count the stars if you can count them, which means the stars are innumerable. Uh, that's how many kids you're going to have. Now, the phrase in the context here means either physically Avraham was led outside in real terms to go outside. It was nighttime, looked up, looked up and saw the stars and couldn't count the stars, or he was this entire thing was a vision. As Pasukalov there says, and he's sleeping, and while he's having the vision, he's seeing himself go outside, or it's daytime, and he goes outside, and he can't see any stars, but they're all really there. Lots of different parshanut, but it's about going outside, either really going outside or in his vision going outside. We'll see how the Gemara darshans this differently. Um, a, uh, a Pasuk in uh, Yishayel Mem Aleph, uh, is going to come up in our material. Now, this pasuk in context seems to be referring to Cyrus, and Cyrus who came from the east and who has uh, has vanquished nations and is now allowing Am Yisrael to return. This is, of course, from the second part of Yeshayahu, which is later Navi at the time of the uh, of the return. So, who woke things up or stirred things up from the east? Tzedek, Tzedek, of course, justice. We're going to see a different meaning to this in the Gemara. Right? And then there is a pasuk that shows up, it's a phrase that shows up in two uh, consecutive prakim of Mishle, uh, famous phrase, it won't help, uh, there won't be any benefit to storing up uh, ill-gotten gains. There's another vav hanigud, and but on the other hand, tzdaka can save from death. Now, tzdaka can save from death. The simple reading of that is that if you give tzdaka to somebody, you might save their life. They might be starving to death. And then a parallel phrase: lo yoil hon biyom It won't, won't help to have a fortune on the day of God's anger. But tzdaka tatzumimavet, and there seems to, in context seems to mean a little bit differently that. You having given staka, even though you have no nothing left, you've given it away or just given some away, nonetheless is going to save you from the death of God's anger. Okay, that's all background. Now let's take a look at our sugya. Now our sugya uh, I presented in two paragraphs because we'll see the the difference between them. Uh, just context in the uh, the Gemara. Remember the Mishnah was talking about preparing food for animals. And then the Gemara noted a couple of uh, halachot that were found in notebooks uh, that were kept by the Chachamim. The Chachamim, even though nothing was published in their time in writing, not Mishnah, not Tosefta, not Gemara, obviously, but nonetheless, uh, they did keep private notebooks, and these are called Pinkas. So in in mentioning that, so Derach Agav, uh, sort of incidentally, they mentioned another thing found in a Pinkas. Who's a second generation Amora in Eretz Israel, lived in Lod. Um, and uh, and he had in his notebook, he had the following written. There's numerous wondrous stories of Shuman Levi, his interactions with Eliyahu Navi. Uh, and it is written in his notebook, which means anybody who was born on a Sunday, Yehe Gvar, right? Velo Chadabe. 
he'll be a person without one thing. So what does that mean? My You mean he'll have no good qualities? Anybody born on Sunday is absolutely irrevo- irrevocably and irredeemably bad. Ravashi said, I was born on a Sunday. El alav chada lebishu means they won't have one bad thing about them. Amar Ravashi anavadimi bar kakuzta havyan bechad b'shvat. I and this dimi, who we'll find out as a thug, uh, were both born on Sunday. It sounds almost as if they were born next to each other in the same hospital, but uh, but they're both both born on a Sunday. Ana malach, I am the king, meaning the rosh hashiva. He is the head of the mob. He's the head of the thugs, which means you can't say that somebody born on Sunday is automatically all good or all bad because there's the two of us. And so what's the answer? Which means either somebody will be totally good or be totally bad. And before we go further, let's note what's happened here. There is a statement in Shuman Levy's notebook which says that the day of the week that you're born on is going to absolutely confirm your personality, your traits, your abilities, your success. And if you're born on a Sunday, that means you're going to either be all good or all bad, no gray at all. All right, now notice, nobody here protests this, and Ravashi tells the story that he and this other fellow were both born on a Sunday and on opposite traits, and we use that now to test it, which means they were being somewhat empirical about this and looking at the information, testing it against what, what we see. But then again, is it meaningful? So let's continue. Uh, and the uh, Gemara in one of the versions says, what's the reason that Sunday is going to be either all good or all bad? Because the Ibube or Vachoshech, because the two opposites, light and dark, were created on Sunday. So now you're going to see... We're going to go all through seven days of the week, and you can already anticipate that it's all going to be based on the first chapter of Breshid. What was created on that day is going to determine your personality. Hi, Monday, betray So somebody's born on Monday. Ragzan is going to be an angry person. Because that's when the waters were separated. The above waters and the lower waters were separated from each other. And there are Midrashim about there being anger, that the higher waters wanted to be closer to the earth, etc., um, and so there's, but separation is all about sort of uh, uh, conflict and and dissension. Haiman de Bethlata Bishva, somebody born on a Tuesday. He'll be somebody who's wealthy, but also promiscuous. Why? Because grass was created and all the fruitful things. So on the one hand, everything is available to him. He's very wealthy. On the other hand, he's uh, very much into, shall we call it, reproduction. Haiman de somebody born on Wednesday. He'll be a wise and enlightened person. That's when the celestial orbs were put up in the sky that give light. Haiman de somebody who's born on Thursday. He'll be someone with abundant kindness. Because both fish and birds, who all their food is available to them, they don't need to hunt just right, left, right there, uh, were created on Thursday, and therefore somebody like that will be somebody of great chesed. Uh, notice that in some cases it's that it's the connection is between what was created and the other is what that created thing has as its lifestyle, like in the case of the game of Elfot. It's somewhat, uh, somewhat vaguer. Uh, somebody who's born on a Friday, he'll be somebody who's always seeking after things. So Racham Yitzchak puts a good twist on it, not seeking after gold or after uh, more pleasures, but rather always seeking after mitzvot. Okay? Somebody born on Shabbat, he'll die on Shabbat. Why? It's sort of like a punishment because they had to desecrate Shabbat to allow him to be born. Therefore, Shabbat's going to get its uh, revenge, if you will, by having him die on Shabbat. So far, it sounds not very pleasant. But he'll be called the holy man. So in other words, you call the holy man. Born on Shabbat, die on Shabbat, call the holy man. Okay, that's all Rishub and Levi's pinkas. Now, we don't know what it actually said in there. Did it just say, Chad b'Shabbat, Gvar v'lochadabay, etc., and then we're now in expanding it, interpreting it, and giving explanations. Seemingly, that's the case. All right, so now that's Rabbi Yeshua Levi. Amar Rabbi Chanina. So Rabbi Chanina said to them, who's them? 
They are the people who reported what it said in Rabbi and Levi's notebook, because he was saying, it says, Fuko imrule levar levai, lo mazal yom goim, ela mazal goim. He said, go tell Ben Levi, or Shuman Levi, that it is not the day of the week that you're born, but rather the hour that you're born that determines it, which means Rabbi Hanina, close student of Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, a contemporary of Shuman Levi, and Rabbi Shuman Levi agreed that the time of your birth determines what kind of person you're going to be. Uh, and there doesn't seem to be much wiggle room here. It doesn't say like somebody born on a Sunday could try to be a, a middling kind of person if he worked hard at it. It's either, that's it, he's all good or all bad. Uh, birth person on a Monday has no help. He's going to be an angry guy. Which, by the way, if you think about it, becomes very problematic because then you can't really hold him accountable for being angry. Uh, and anger is a midah that Chazal warned us against. In fact, it's one of the two midot that the Rambam says you have to go to the opposite extreme uh, to not ever be angry. And so it becomes somewhat problematic. Uh, but uh, Rav Hanina doesn't disagree in essence, he disagrees in application, which is um, that it's not the uh, mazal yom, but rather mazal sha'ah. And how does this work? So essentially you start from the first hour of the day, daytime on Sunday morning, and there's seven hours, and then Hour number eight goes back to number seven. In other words, in their world, there were seven heavenly beings. There was the sun, the moon, and five planets. All right, everything else was set in its place. Those seven were the only seven that moved, called kochvei lechet, what we would call planets, all right, that, that revolved. And as a result, they said each one of them controls an hour. All right, so we'll see what they are. Uh, and when you get to the eighth hour on Sunday, you go back to number one. So um, over the course of, let's say, uh, 28 hours, you've gone through that four times, et cetera, and you work it out. And over the course of the week, um, you've gone through the entire system um, X amount of times. It's a 20. It's going to be uh, 24 times you've gone through the entire system. Okay, good. So now he says as follows. Uh, somebody who's born in under the sun. That's the first hour of Sunday. And by the way, these hours continue through the night. He'll be a very shiny person. He'll eat his own food, means he won't be dependent on others. Drink his own water. But he won't be able to keep secrets. Who tries to be a thief, he won't be successful. So now it, it, it's talking now about talents as opposed to character traits. His talent is going to be power, but he won't have a talent for discretion. All right, just like the sun. Haiman de Kochav Noga. So number two is Kochav Noga, which is Venus. Yehegvar Atir Vizanoi. He'll be wealthy and promiscuous. Again, just like we had on the guy born on Tuesday. Maitama, why? Mishum Dityalid Beinura. Because that's where the fire comes from. That's what, that was their assessment. Haiman de Kochav. Kochav here means Mercury. He'll be bright and enlightened. Why? He's like the scribe of the sun, because the Mercury follows the sun. It's right next to the sun. Somebody born under the moon. He will be somebody who suffers. He's going to build, but then tear down. Tear down, build up. He'll eat and drink from others. His secrets will be kept, just like the moon that goes up and goes down and um, waxes and wanes, etc., and uh, and often isn't seen. And therefore, if he wants to be a thief, he'll be a good thief. Shabtai means Saturn. It'll be somebody whose intents won't, won't work out. He'll make plans that won't work out. Some say the opposite. Anybody who makes plans against him will not, it won't work. Haiman de Tzedek. Tzedek is Jupiter. Yehegvar Tzadikan will be a justifying person. Somebody who's always justifying and doing good mitzvot. Good. Haiman de Mamadim. And the last one is Mars. Yehegvar Ashidame. He'll be somebody who spills blood. Now, spilling blood can go one of two ways. Rashi e umna, he could be a blood letter, like a doctor, e ganava, or a thief. E tabacha, or moala, he could be a shochet or a mohel. So Amarabba Anamadim Havai, Rabba protested this entire discussion and said, I was born under Mars, under that hour. 
So He said, yeah, but guess what? You also sit at the head of the Beitin, and you punish, and you kill. Now, it didn't mean that Rabbah actually killed, but it could mean either that Rabbah administered lashes, which is like killing, or it could mean that he exacted fines from people, which would be like killing, or maybe that if he made the recommendation, the Persian authorities might kill. Okay, so far, the dispute has only been about whether it's the hour you're born in or the day you're born on, which is going to determine your life. But uh, this has certainly done a lot to uh, take away uh, a person's, shall we say, broad free will in how they're going to live their life, or at least what kind of character they're going to become. Uh, it, um, it also seems to be problematic relative to some of the source material that we saw. And here we come to the... Second part, Itmar. Mechanino Mer, Mazal Machkim, Mazal Ma'ashir. Mechanino says, and we saw Rabbechinino earlier, that the Mazal, meaning the constellation under which you're born, and his position was hour, not day, uh, makes you wise and makes you wealthy. V'yesh Mazal li Yisrael, which means the Jewish people are affected by this and controlled by it. Rabbi Yochanan Amar, Ein Mazal li Yisrael. He said, no, Ein Mazal li Yisrael. That doesn't mean that we always have bad luck. It means mazal does not control us. Now, there's two different ways to read that, and this goes back to what I said earlier. It could mean that mazal just doesn't mean anything, or whatever star you're, star you're born under doesn't mean anything, uh, or it could mean that it means something, but Am Yisrael is somehow separated from that, meaning is, uh, is raised above that and not affected. Oh, let's see. Yochanan is consistent. Don't be afraid of the signs of heaven. The nations are afraid of them. And the drush is, Only the nations should be afraid. Which means that the constellations are meaningful. They could determine a course for both the individual and a nation. But Am Yisrael is not affected by it. Okay, Vyaf Rav Savar in Mazal Yisrael. Rav in Bavel agrees with Rabbi Yochanan. Never viewed him a Rav. in Mazal Yisrael. How do we know that in Mazal Yisrael? Shemar v'tseo to achutza. Remember the story of Hashem taking Avraham outside. What's the drasha? Amar Avraham v'fnei Kodesh Baruch Hu. Rebbeinu Shalom. Ben Beiti or Reishoti. Avraham said to God, "Reconstructing, reconstructing the conversation midrashically." Avraham said to God, "My houseboy is inheriting from me." Amar lo love. God said, no, rather the one who comes from your loins. Now notice, in the Midrash, Avram says, I looked into my astrology, or consulted with my astrologers. I am not fit to have a child. Now by the way, there's a later development in Midrash with this that says, you're right, Avram eno molid, Avraham molid. Sarai ene yoledet, Sarai yoledet, and then changing the names was a way to kind of work around that. But this Midrash goes in a different direction. So when it said God took him outside, he meant leave the world of astrology. You are not affected by that. But now notice how it works. It's not to say this stuff is all meaningless or it won't affect you, but rather you're concerned because Jupiter is in the West when you were born. I'm going to move Jupiter to the east, right, which somehow has to do something with, with, with uh, reproduction. And that's the Pasuk in Yeshayahu Mem Aleph that we saw earlier. All right? Not only Rav, but Shmuel also says, Ein Mazali Yisrael. It's a wild story. Shmuel and some non Jewish Chacham were sitting together. Hanach in Shila Agma. Some men were going down to a lagoon. Amarle Avlet Lishmuel Hai Gavra Azavlo Ati. So Avlet said to Shmuel, see that guy was walking, he's not coming back. He's going to get bitten by a snake and die there. Notice, by the way, how often snakes come up in these stories. Amarle Shmuel, Ibar Yisrael Hu Azavlo Ati. Shmuel said, if he's Jewish, he'll come back. And by the way, neither one of them got up to stop these guys from going or anything else. Shmuel said, if he's Jewish, he'll come back. What happened? While they were sitting there, the guy came back. So Avlet got up and checked his pack, because he was convinced this guy was going to die. He saw a snake cut in half in the middle of his pack. So Shmuel said to the fellow who 
escaped with his life, didn't know he escaped with his life. He said, what did you do? Every day that we go out, this group, we all share our food. There was one guy that I knew who did not have any food, any bread, to contribute. He was embarrassed. I said, I'll be the guy who collects all the food. And when I got to collect from him, I made it look as if I was collecting from him. She shouldn't be embarrassed. So it looked as if he had donated. And then we all ate together. So Shmuel said, oh, you did a mitzvah. Now Shmuel publicly said, the pasuk we saw, not again that the staka that you give somebody could save his life because he's starving to death, but rather you're giving staka saved your life. And now, doesn't mean that you will be saved from a terrible death, but you'll be actually saved from death itself. In other words, you could say that by giving staka, you'll end up uh, dying, you know, in your bed when you're 100. No, it means that staka can actually save your life itself. All right, now we move back in time. Rabbi Kiva Nami in Mazal Yisrael, and it's a wild story. Rabbi Kiva also holds in Mazal Yisrael. How do we know that? Rabbi Kiva, by the way, none of them said this. They just had stories happen. Uh, Rav actually said it, but Shmuel and Rabbi Kiva and Rachma Yitzchak, who we'll see, all we all we infer in, in, in all of these from stories. Rabbi had a daughter. Amrile Kaldoi. So they told them, the the uh, astrologers told them, Chaldeans, The day she goes into a chupa, she's going to be bitten by a snake. Umita, and she'll die. Now, by the way, interesting. Rabbi Kiva doesn't do anything about this. Rabbi Kiva was really concerned about this. But didn't step in to stop things. Hahu Yoma that day, Shakalta Lamachvanta, she took a hairpin out, Datsta Beguda, she stuck it into the wall. Itrami went right into the eye of a snake that was waiting there. Let Safaki Kashaklala in the morning she took the hairpin out of the wall, Have Kasarikvaati Khivya Batra. The snake came out with it. Amarlavu, she came and showed her, showed her father, Mayavad. Yeah, father said, what did you do last night? Amrale Bifanya during the evening, during all the festivities of the wedding, Ata Anya Karaabava, some poor guy came and knocked on the door and wanted some food. Vahavu Tridi Kuliyama Sudata. Everybody was celebrating my wedding. So very good girl. Vileka the Shame, and nobody heard him. Kaimna, I got up, Shakalta the Ristanoy, I took my own food. Tihavitli that you gave me, Yahavita in I gave it to him. Amal mitzvah vat, you did a great mitzvah. And the last piece here is a story of Nachman Bar Yitzchak, student of Rava. Nami ein mazal Israel. Why deimed Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak? So his mother, um, and by the way, from here he's saying that not that he said this, but we can see from a story of his that in mazal Israel. When he was born, the Chaldean, the uh, astrologers, told his mother, your son is going to be a thief. She would not ever let him go around with his head uncovered. Why? She said to him, Always keep your hair cover, head covered. This is, by the way, the main source of uh, Yamaka. Well, keep, keep your head covered so that you should always have fear of heaven. Right? And, uh, and always pray that you should be strong. That's what she told him. She didn't tell him why. Uh, he didn't know why she told him this. One day he was sitting and learning underneath a palm tree. His head covering fell off of him. Dali and he looked up. He saw the palm, the 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 dates. He went up to the tree and he actually bit them off with his mouth. He had such a lusting, and so we hear from this that he was actually able to control it. Now, by the way, notice that in every one of these cases that we saw, that's the end of the sugya, in every one of these cases that we saw. The astrological figuring or the pronouncement of the astrologers was meaningful, but there was a way to defeat it. In other words, the snake was supposed to uh, was supposed to kill the guy. Uh, we'll start out with this. Avram was supposed to not have kids, but God said, I'm taking you out of that. 
but stronger in the case of um, of uh, Shmuel. Um, the snake was supposed to kill the guy, but the guy did a beautiful thing to help his friend out, not to embarrass him. He was saved. Rabbi Kiva's daughter was supposed to be killed, but the great mitzvah she did saved her. Rabbi Nachman Yitzchak would have been a ganav, and had the and when the kippah fell off, he became the ganav. But the, the, there was a way to counteract it. Now you take a look at this story in the Yerushalmi in Source Eleven, which actually shows up almost in a replica in uh, in the Tanhuman Source Twelve. So we'll look at it here, and you're going to see something a very different take. Uh, on the Pasuk in Shoftim, that these nations all go after these abominations, you have a different way. That's the Navi. By the way, this is almost a translation, these two stories, of the two stories in reverse order in the Yerushalmi above. Uh, there was a ger from Botsra. Botsra is in uh, southwest Jordan. When I was a non-Jew, I used to seek out the oracle to find out what's happening. Now I'm Jewish. I can't, I'm not allowed to do it. What am I going to do? He went on a trip and he did not seek the Avodazara's information. He went out like a real careless person without seeking an oracle. Um, I'm saying that tongue in cheek. So he got to the, to the um, city, under the wall, um, and there was a uh, police there, and suddenly he became afraid. He ran off the a donkey, and the donkey he got off the donkey. The donkey ran away. He was afraid of them. It's like and they were hurting him. But they said, "No, this guy fell off." In other words, he was afraid that because he hadn't seeked out, sought out the, the Avodah he was in trouble, right? And But then it turned out that they helped him. His donkey ran away. They found him out. Now, what caused him to be saved? Because he connected himself to the Torah. In other words, he would have been in trouble, but the fact that he was now Jewish and he was loyal to what he was doing, he was saved. Now, Rabbi Yochanan and his Rebbe, Rabbi Yochanan, were sitting on a bench in Tveria. There were two astrologers. They saw two Jews going out to work. The two astrologers said, They are not coming back. El Hanachash Sorfan, again, a snake is going to literally burn them, and it means it's going to poison them. Shamur Abiyan Rabbi Yochanan, the two rabbis heard, Me'asu, Yashu Apetach Hamdina Leda'im Nechassin Hain, Otan Shen Hashim Nachtan. They went out to see, are these guys going to come back? Again, they didn't go out to stop them. V'nichnasu, they came back. V'ra'u Otan B'nei Rabbi Yan Rabbi Yochanan, Me'omalastrologin, Lo'martan Shen Hashim Alaudzin V'nechassin, they said to the astrologers, didn't you guys say these guys aren't coming back? Shanachash Sofan, that the snake's going to bite them? Amrulahan, yeah, we did. Amrulahan, they're back in peace. So the astrologers started looking at these two guys, not the rabbis, the two guys who came back. They said, what did you do today? Because our charts all had you dying. We didn't do anything. We just did what we do every day. Karino at Shema, we palalno, we said Shema, we daven. Amrulam Yehudim atem, oh, you guys are Jewish. So the astrologers themselves said, everything we have to say doesn't affect you at all. Shatem Yehudim, because you are Yehudim. Beautiful, beautiful story. Now here's where things get tricky. Um, the approach in the Gemara the broad approach in the Gemara is Ein Mazali Yisrael. But what Ein Mazali Yisrael clearly means in the Gemara is that Mazalot are meaningful. The alignment of the stars when somebody is born or when somebody goes out to work or whatever it may be will have an impact on their life. But in the case of Jews, both the Jewish nation and Jewish individuals, it can be overcome with your own behavior, either directly, like keeping your head covered, or indirectly, like doing a mitzvah, and you will be saved from that bad thing. I don't know, by the way, none of this stuff is good stuff, right? 
this became a big problem um, starting really in the 10th century, maybe in the 9th century, when um, the Jewish community starting in Bavel and then in Spain, uh, and then of course in Egypt, the Rambam, uh, were, uh, became involved with and in some cases wholeheartedly embraced uh, what we might call anti-superstitious approach to science, whatever you might want to call it, rationalism, um, which rejected not only the power of these things, but even their, their existence as anything but just things in the sky. And that's a little bit unfair because even Rambam, uh, the great uh, spokesman as it were, as it were for rationalism, says more than that about the stars. Uh, but the Meiri, the Menachem Meiri, uh, who lived in the 1300s in, uh, in Provence, uh, was a, uh, a rationalist, and in a number of his comments on the Gemara, he has to deal with the fact that the Gemara itself seems to reflect a, uh, an approach which embraces the existence of and the potential power of these other things, and, uh, and he responds to it. And so he starts out in this comment on our Gemara. Me pinota dat, source 13, we're not going to look at the whole thing. Pinota dat, one of the essentials of religion. Umi sodota emunah, the foundations of belief. Lamin shabachira biyad hadam, that man has free will. Becholpu ulotav, in anything he does, lasod kirtson ish vaish, to do whatever you choose to do. Pimnodam idar hachachachmashim arechad kochavim baal binolan kochot kinyan midot, if you find out through wisdom, that the stars have aligned, that you're going to have certain powers, or certain characteristics, either because of the day you were born or the hour it's going on, like you say, somebody who's born under the sign of Mars will be a blood letter or blood spiller. So let's say there's a prince born in that, in that uh, sign, they're going to make him the chief of staff. If he's a regular guy, they'll say, you should be a shochet, because you're born under Mars. And then the other stars, said, all of this will not keep you from having free will. You can never say that that means you are bound to do this. But when you do something wrong, you're sinning and you're making the choice to sin. Now, with the, the, the line that the, that the Me'iri seems to straddle here, the section that I have in yellow is those two stories from the Tanchuma that the, that the Me'iri quotes. It says that the line that he seems to straddle is that um, it's possible that because of the star that you were born under, you're going to have certain strengths and certain abilities, but that doesn't mean you don't have free will. And therefore, somebody who's born with under uh, whatever sign is going to make him angry has the ability to not be angry. He has to overcome it. And if, he's ang- and if he acts in an angry way, he is making a choice to be angry, and he's held liable for it, even though he has tendencies in that way. This is the sort of thing that in today's world, where for the most part, most people do not believe that the stars exert any sort of an influence besides the tides, uh, would say, uh, yeah, but there's genetics and there's background. And a person is born with this sort of tendency. They grow up in a home which is verbal. They grow up in a home in which there's a lot of attention given. They grow up in a home in which there is a lot of reading going on. Or they grow up in a home in which uh, some of the opposite things or those things are lacking. And that's going to, to a great extent, determine their abilities, their strengths, and their challenges. But that doesn't mean that if they act on their strengths, or shall we say their weaknesses, and don't work hard to overcome those weaknesses, that they can be off the hook and say, well, what can I do? That's what I was born into. So you take a look now into the Rambam in source 14. The Rambam, uh, in discussing the prohibition of lo ta'onenu, what's la'onen? So I remember I, I did not translate it. So the Rambam says, These are people who give particular times. Now this is, by the way, now different than the whole discussion we've seen so far. The whole discussion we've seen so far has been about birth. A person is born under a certain sign, a certain day of the week, and as a result, this is going to be their style, this is going to be their fate, perhaps. This is a little different. Uh, this is what we might call judicial astrology. 
איזו מונן אלו נוני עיתים שאומרים הצטגנות יום פלוני טוב יום פלוני רע. People look at the stars and say this is a good day to go to business, this is a good day to invest, it's a bad day to invest, not based on any financial outlook or anything, just based on the stars. ראוי לעשות במלאכה פלונית, שנה פלונית, חודש פלוני, רע לדבר פלוני, או say certain month is bad for this. And by the way, the Rambam here is almost directly taking on a statement in the Gemara that says that a person who has a court case against a non-Jew in Choreshav should try to delay it because we have bad mazal then and should then take it to Adar when we have good mazal then. The Rambam seems to directly address that when he says, Chodesh Ploni, Rala Devar Ploni. And then he says, Asur La'onein, you are not allowed to engage in this practice. That's one of the practices of Avodah Zarah. Avpi Shalom Asa Ma'aseh, Halo Diyal Tanak Savim Shach Silim, Medamin Shein Divrei Met Divrei Chachamim. Even though you don't act on it, you just inform people about it, the thing that these fools think are meaningful. Anybody who acts based on uh, astrological advice, either his work or his trip or whatever it might be, he gets makot. You violated a law in the Torah. Okay, but that, so you see here, now this, by the way, is a different prohibition relating to astrology, not in making a claim, well, I can't behave differently because I'm guided this way by the stars, but rather I'm going to invest this way, study this way, travel this way, or stay home because of certain uh, astral alignments. At the end of this entire chapter, it's important to note, and we're only going to look at a couple more things here, but there's a lot more reading that uh, is available for you here. Um, uh, at the end of the entire chapter where the Rambam delineates all of those prohibitions of sorcery, etc., he makes the following blanket statement. All of these things, meaning sorcery, uh, witchcraft, uh, necromancy, etc., they are all lies. They were all tricks used by the priests of the cult in order to get everybody to follow them. And Am Yisrael, who is wise and intelligent, should never follow such nonsense. And never to think even that there is any value to them. And quotes the psukim that we saw. Anybody who believes that these things exist, thinks they're true, and wisdom of al Torah asartan, but the Torah prohibited them. They are just fools. But the wise people with full wisdom, they understand with good, solid proofs, philosophical proofs. All these things that the Torah forbade are not wisdom, they're nonsense. That fools followed them and they abandoned all direction of wisdom for them. That's why the Torah concludes that whole section with the phrase that you should be tamim with Hashem. We're going to look, take a look at just two more sources, uh, both of them Rambans, and then uh, I will leave you at your own leisure to read this translation of the Rambam's famous letter on astrology. So there's some people who have actually made the claim that Rambam didn't himself write it, that it was falsely attributed but um, this is directly from Tversky's translation um, from a wonderful, wonderful collection by uh, the late Professor Tversky Zal. Um, and, uh, and it was a letter in response to the request from the community of Montpellier for the Rambam to weigh in on astrology. But first, we'll take a look at this Ramban. Now, just one quick intro to this Ramban. The Ramban uh, wrote a critique on the Rambam's Sefer Hamitzvot. And uh, his critique is an ongoing critique, meaning in the Rambam's uh, 14 paragraphs of introduction, establishing the bases for counting the mitzvot, the Ramban has a critique. And on a number of the mitzvot along the way, the Ramban has a critique. Uh, and there is literature defending the Rambam, and, supporting, and, and there's literature supporting the Ramban, etc. 
And then, because the Ramban felt that the Rambam's count was in error, for instance, that certain things should not count as a mitzvah, or certain things that the Rambam counted as two should be counted as one, that means that the Ramban was left at the end with approximately 17 less mitzvot aseh, which means he came up with 231. So he added in 17 more that he thought should be to make up the full 248 of mitzvot aseh, and it's actually an, uh, an interesting thing. It's called shichat asin, the forgotten mitzvot aseh, the ones that the Ramam Kilu forgot. Um, and uh, the same thing happens with the lotaseh. So um, the eighth of the forgotten mitzvot, as it were, is a wild thing. The, the Rambam did not mention this as a mitzvah at all. Uh, and he said, mitzvah shminit. That we have to be wholehearted with God. That's a mitzvah in the Torah. What does it mean? We should focus our hearts only towards God. He's the only one who does anything. He's the only one to whom we should seek through his prophets. So either through the prophets or through the breastplate. We should not seek out from astrologers or anything like that. We shouldn't be trusting that their words are going to happen in any case. Our response to them should be, it's all in God's hands. Because he can change how the stars work. Now notice what the Ramban is saying. The stars actually are meaningful, but God can affect them. Um, and he says, And all the things that are going to happen to us are going to happen based on how close we are to him. Right? In other words, we shouldn't be afraid, as he quotes the Pasuk from Yimiao, that we've seen already several times of the signs from the heavens, because it's up to us how things are going to play out for us. Right? Um, and, uh, and as a result of that, that's what will happen. Now, the Ramban goes on to say, that these different vehicles are actually valid vehicles. They really work, but they're prohibited. Because the tamim tiyah means we demonstrate our loyalty to God by not trying to seek information that's not available to us otherwise, such as the future, through any vehicle except for the navi. But not to say that these things are not real. And you take a look at, in, in a somewhat parallel related passage, the last one we'll look at is the Ramban here, and he already uh, directed us to this in his comment in Bamidbar, the Ramban at the end of Achremot. At the end of Achremot is the long list of the prohibited uh, sexual liaisons. And the Torah says, in, in summarizing it, that the nations all did these terrible things, and the land became defiled, and the people were vomited from the land. Make sure you don't do it, you won't be vomited from the land, etc. And the Ramban goes on to talk about the special nature of Eretz Israel. And he says, I'm just going to read this, the large section. Even though the whole world is God's, purity is not really full anywhere outside of Israel. Because of the ministering angels that control over the rest of the world. And the nations out there err in that they worship those angels that actually control them. He said that the part of the prophecy of the future is that God will be called God of the whole world. So part of the messianic vision, according to the Ramban, is that ultimately God will then destroy all of these other secondary rules, uh, rulers of, shall we say, or, or systems of rule, of that the angels have over the rest of the world, and he'll be called God of the entire world, not just God of Eretz Israel. Then he'll control all the earthly kings. He says that when Nebuchadnezzar had his dream, Daniel refers to this as decree of the angels, because it's Babel. They're under the decree of the angels. All right, so you take a look at the next, uh, the next paragraph. Hashem is God over everywhere, but he's the God of Eretz Yisrael, which is God's place. 
וזהו טעם, that's why it says in דברים, וזנה אחרי אלוהי נכר הארץ, that they will whore after the foreign gods of the land. כי אלוהות נוכרים בארץ השם ונחלתו. any other gods are foreign in God's land. וזהו שנאמר, this is the story of the שומרונים, that when the שומרונים were first population transferred into שומרון from their different places of the Assyrian exile, and it says, לא ידעו את משפט אלוהי הארץ. Twice in the same passage, it says they did not know the law of the God of the land, Hashem. And therefore they needed a Kohanim to instruct them and stop doing They weren't punished when they were in their own land worshipping their own gods, the Shalach to have lions sent against them. They came to the land of Hashem, and they continued their earlier behavior. The lions were sent against them. Eretz Yisrael is not like any other land. It cannot stand over Avera sinners. And he quotes a Sifri that none of the ministers of the nations can come and control an Eretz Israel, And he says, So this is a pasuk from Daniel, where he, where he pictures the minister of Yavan. They know that that's an angel. And that's why Chazal say, anybody who lives outside of Israel is like someone who has no God. Etc. Now, there's much, much more here. And there is the wonderful letter, again, of the Rambam to read, which takes up uh, the last half of this, the source material. But just to summarize what we've seen in this way too short shiur on the topic about Mazal Yisrael, and I'll end with a story. The source material that we saw in Tanakh could be read several ways, as often the case of the Tanakh. It could be read as promoting the idea that stars do have control, astrology does have control, it is real, but Am Yisrael isn't affected by it or can act to be unaffected by it, or to say none of this stuff is real at all. Um, the position of Chazal, as we see in our Gemara, clearly is that this stuff is real, that what, where you're born, when you're born or under what star you're born or whatever it may be, what day you're born is going to affect something about your personality, but you can counteract it. The way that we saw this also in the story in the Yushalmi, and it was in every case it was, and, and the Tanhuma, in every case it was somebody acting in a in a pious way averted a bad decree that was the result of some astrological phenomenon. Uh, the Meiri worked towards a more rationalist approach by saying, "Yeah, you do have tendencies, and those tendencies could arguably be affected by when you were born." They certainly are affected, we understand, by to whom you're born and when you're born as far as what era you're born in. But uh, nonetheless, that doesn't get you off the hook for your behavior and to say that that uh, that's what I was stuck with. We saw the Rambam in one passage where he talks about acting based on astrological advice and that that is a prohibition of the Torah and his summative statement where he says that all of these things, such as that, are all nonsensical, and anybody thinks that they actually are meaningful, that where the stars are is going to determine how well you're going to do on this trip, or whatever it may be, is ridiculous, and you violate a law for doing that, but also you are a fool for believing that stuff. The Ramban, in the meantime, says, no, those things are real, but it is our obligation to demonstrate our loyalty to God by uh, by maintaining... Uh, a distance from seeking any of that information out. Uh, I just want to end with a story. Many, many years ago, uh, when I was uh, in Eshur with Moriah Rav Yol Binun, should live long and continue to teach much Torah, um, he was teaching Sefer Eov, actually, and towards the beginning of the Shiur, a fellow came in who was late, and he said, Slicha, Rav, you know, excuse me, Rabbi, but... Um, my Chavruta's wife just gave birth, so they need a little help at the home. And immediately, a few of the guys in the, in the room turned around and said to him, Mazal Tov. And so Rav Yoel, on the spot, stopped the shiur and said, He asked the guy who said it, do you really believe that? And Mazal Tov, by the way, is the, is the most uh, well-known Jewish phrase in the world, almost assuredly. Um, 
any uh, non-Jew who's ever catered a Jewish wedding or florist or anything knows the phrase Mazel Tov. Everybody knows Mazel Tov, at least in, in certain circles in the West. And um, Rav Yol turned and said, at the time I met my mim, I said, do you really believe that? So he said, well, what do you mean? He said, what do you mean when you say Mazel Tov? So well, it's mean congratulations. I said, well, what does the words mean? The words mean that we're wishing that this event happens under a favorable constellation. And, uh, and he presents an argument why it should be unacceptable to say Mazal Tov. So, of course, my question to him is, so what do you say to people at a wedding? How do you greet them? And he said very simply, Birchat Hashem Aleichem, God should bless you. I'm not asking for stars to bless you, but for God to bless you. And uh, indeed, that's what uh, quite a number of, uh, of people in certain circles are careful to do, and not to use that very ubiquitous phrase, uh, most people do still use Mazel Tov because if you ask them, they're going to say it has nothing to do with constellations. It's just a Jewish way of saying congratulations and, uh, and we're very happy for you. In any case, uh, we have come to the end of our study of Masach Shabbat. Uh, we should all feel very uh, 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 excited about the seum that we'll be doing, even though it's going to be a distant seum uh, and celebrating together. And Amir Tzashem, we're going to start Eruvin, and God willing, by the time we come to the end of Eruvin, we'll have to be able to have a siyum in person and be able to celebrate together.